Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 274 of our Tick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is Healing Rod, an interview with Hillary Jane. My name is Matt Sabatello. My name is Richard Johannesson. We guarantee you're going to learn something today that you've never before heard on the Tick Boot Camp podcast. Hillary was very vulnerable, raw, and open with us and shared all the things she's done to get to where she is today with her health. You're going to hear some really cool modern ways to help yourself heal from Lyme disease, but you're also going to learn things like ancient Egyptian healing modalities that she's investigated, researched, and implemented in her own healing journey that have brought her great success. This healing modality is science-backed, non-invasive, and extremely affordable. We're really excited to introduce Hillary Jane. Hello, Hillary Jane, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. We are really excited to have you, Hillary. You've been one of the folks that we've been aware of from our social media searches. And um, we always like to have the creative artistic people on this podcast because they always give us a different perspective. And since Matt and I have absolutely no artistic creativity, we're always amazed with folks like you. So talk to us a little bit about first where you live and what you do. Um, I live in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and I'm a professional artist. Um, I've been tattooing for a little over 16 years. I started very young when I was about 15. Um, and I've been doing all sorts of, uh, visual art since then, illustration, photography, all sorts of stuff. And now I recently launched my, uh, home decor line. Um, that's, uh, very much an expansion of my, my tattoo work and my illustrations. And I thought it would be a good way to, um, bring all of that into a third dimension, as it could say. Well, it's, that, that is really cool. So you're, you, you, your, your artistic platforms have changed from tattooing people to now dressing people. Is that really the, the, the way the platform is changed? So talk to us about um, uh, the Dressing homes. The uh, um, yeah, I design products and I love stylizing, um, styling homes. And, you know, I design drapes and pillows and I've always been in love with architecture and interior design. My mom's an interior decorator. Um, so it's just something I've always wanted to pursue um, other than tattooing. But tattooing does take a lot of, lot of time and energy out of you. <laughs> I, I would think it would. So yes. um, talk to us about what it was like growing up. Did you grow up in Montreal? No, I actually grew up um, in the Eastern Townships. It's... Um, a little over 10, 15 minutes from the Vermont border. So very close um, to the United States border. Um, I grew up around the lake. Um, I've had kind of various places that I've grown up, like here and there, you know, my mom had a cottage here and then my dad had a cottage there. I was like pretty, pretty privileged on that, on that point growing up in the country. But um, for sure that comes with the risk of a, uh, getting bit by a tick <laughs> right, so let's 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 talk about that since, since you since you raised the privileged experience that you had um were you an outdoorsy gal did you have a lot of experiences at either your mom's cottage or your dad's cottage where yeah. you were spending a lot of time outdoors was it rural? very a very uh, solitary outdoor child um definitely go around walking in the woods and and very much in love with nature um i'd spend a lot of my time outdoors and that has never left me but you know I also grew up in the in the city we'd go back and forth during summer and then the weekends and stuff um, but at a very young age I was you know raised in the country 
So I'm definitely looking forward to moving back into the country. I think I've done my, my uh, rounds here in the city. I will, we'll, we'll talk about that as we get later in this conversation, but let's just stay with your, with your childhood. So um, when you were living this solitary life and you were spending a lot of time in nature, were you aware of ticks and tick diseases? No, absolutely not. So at, at no point during your childhood, either because of the way your parents were educating you or the way you were being educated in the educational system in Canada, did you ever become aware of the threat of ticks and the diseases that you could um, ultimately suffer from in the event that you were bitten by a tick? No, it was not a thing here. And it, it's still, it's starting to become a thing. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I've gotten bitten by a tick before when I was, when I was young. Like we were always, we were running in the fields. We, you know, we have a 17 acre plot of land. We had a 10 acre field. We'd run through there barefoot, you know, all our childhood. So um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And it's, and it's, it's one of the most um, active areas in Canada because of the climate, you know? Yes. Yes. So did you have any companion animals, any cats, any dogs, any, any, any animals that were coming into your house? Um, Yeah, I guess a few cats here and there. I think we're probably more aware about our animals getting ticks than humans. So you were aware of that. That's really what the question was. Were well, you, I don't you... like, yeah, as, as I grew older, I guess, but not, you know, not at a very young age. Okay, I never so... thought there was like that, like, honestly, being there out, out in the wilderness was the safest place in the world. You know, even if we had cougars or bears roaming around and coyotes, we, we knew it was the safest. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as someone who's never been around a coyote or a bear, <laughs> you know, it, 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 uh, I, I certainly would think that you'd be more anxious about um, a coyote or a bear just because of the size and the and the the size of the animal and the proximity of the threat. But as it turns out, perhaps the uh, those small vectors were even more dangerous. The ticks that were biting you that you yeah. weren't aware of, um, as it turns out. But let's 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 talk more about your childhood. So um, you you did share with us that you you're from an artistic family, at least genetically. Your mom. Uh, has, has transferred some artistic genes into you. So were you always, yeah. were you always an artistic uh, kid? Oh yeah. I haven't stopped drawing. That's why I, I ended up starting tattooing at 15. I was drawing on, you know, sleeves on myself <laughs> with Sharpies. Uh, yeah, no, I never stopped drawing. I was definitely kind of like um, head in my notepad, not listening in school. Um, you know, I'd learning dif- difficulties and ADHD and, yeah, I guess I just, I just love doing art. So what was your vision for yourself during your childhood as you're growing up? Did you always envision yourself in, in, in the um, artistic arena? And, and when did the, when did the passion for, um, for tattoo artistry develop in you? Um, well, when I was very young, I was very much into, I love space and sci-fi and like all that spacey alien stuff. So I was very much into astronomy and I would, and we had a lot of a great view of the stars when I was a kid. So we'd spend a lot of time. I would spend a lot of times um, just sitting out in the field and and looking at the stars. Um, But then I realized that you need to know math. Um, And I was like, okay, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Awful at math. Um, And then I was drawing and I I didn't see myself being like a, 
an illustrator or anything like that, but I got into, you know, millinery, which is hat making and, and vintage costumes. And so I wanted to be a costume designer when I was, you know, around early teens. And then um, I discovered body modification and started um, working on some flash, which are basically designs for tattoos. And um, my father is a businessman. So he's very, and he, you know, he's, he's kind of a coach in that sense, like a communications coach and strategist. So he was very like, you know, very much pushing me to um, turn it into a business and try to like, why don't you try to go to a tattoo shop and like sell, try to sell your work. And, uh, you know, I was drawing in high school and stuff. And then I did, and I ended up getting an apprenticeship. So it kind of fell into my lap. So talk to us about what that apprenticeship was like and what your vision was for your future while you were doing the apprenticeship. Um, well, I was very much interested in, in learning to tattoo. I did that for a couple of years. Um, but then, you know, with the pressure of the family pressure and society, I was, you know, you kind of have to finish CJEP, which is a prerequisite to go to university. Um, and you can't go to university until you're 21. So it's kind of like the in-between. So I went into that, did photography, did visual arts. I dropped out both programs. And I was like, I just want a tattoo. Like, I don't want, I don't want to work for anyone else. I want to be a freelancer. I can't do the costume design stuff because it's going to take so many years to get to the point where I'm able to be a director, like a creative director. Um, so I was like, well, I'll draw costumes if I, if I need to, you know, so, you know, through that, I've developed my style drawing women and, and, and with like cool costumes and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's what, I went, I, I dropped out of, uh, out of CJEP and then I just went back into tattooing. So for how long, how long did you develop um, your tattoo skills and where did that ultimately take you? Um, so I started 16 years ago. So I did the two first years, then I stopped. And then I started over again when I was um, 18. Um, and it was very promising for me. I mean, I went through all sorts of styles, trying to find my style on the side. I was drawing illustrations that did not reflect at all the type of tattooing that I did. And then I started like kind of respecting my boundaries in that sense and be like, you know what, why can't I, why am I not allowing myself to um, tattoo what I am drawing? Like, I don't, I don't feel like doing this, you know, black and gray realism anymore or whatever style. Cause back in my day, you kind of had to like be able to do all sorts of styles. It's really not like that anymore. You kind of go into a niche right away. You do, you know, artists are becoming tattoo artists. Back then it was like, you got to know how to do everything, the tribal, the, you know. So I, there was definitely that pressure. Um, and then when I started to um, do my style of work with the tattooing, that's when it really took off. Um, and yeah, now I'm at, you know, 100,000 followers on Instagram. I'm known worldwide, uh, internationally. Um, you know, around Canada and the United States, I'm pretty well known. And, and I have a lot of clients come in from, you know, Los Angeles and Texas and um, all around Canada. And I've done a, a bunch of guest spots over the past 10 years. Um, it's definitely, it's allowed me to travel to, to Norway, Sweden, uh, Denmark, Hawaii, um, Belgium, Phoenix, Arizona, all sorts of places. So it's definitely been a really crazy journey. Sounds like it's been. A, no, I'm, I'm close to retirement now. <laughs> sounds like it's been a cool run. Yeah. So Hillary, talk to us about when your symptoms first started to surface, the symptoms you now know to be uh, your uh, Lyme disease symptoms. Uh, well, like I 
I think I mentioned earlier, I wouldn't be surprised if I had started getting symptoms at a younger age, because I've always been kind of a tired type. You know, I started drinking coffee like at early high school um, and I always kind of been drained and not sleeping good, but that could be completely unrelated. But um, I remember getting bit, bitten by tick when I was about uh, 22. I remember pulling it out. I was drunk in the field. And so I didn't know what it was. And I was kind of, you know, when you're drunk, you're kind of like, ah, what is this, whatever. And I was kind of playing around with it. Turns out it was a tick bite. And I still hadn't registered that until um, quite some time after, years later. Um, So I got the classic bullseye rash uh, that spread over the the next couple of days, pretty big. Um, And then, so I went to see a doctor because it turns out it, it had caused a cellulitis infection. So I only got treated for the cellulitis infection, which was like antibiotics for like 10 days. Um, and then I continued developing weird rashes on my arms, like the smaller bullseye rashes, which I thought was, uh, was weird, but I was like, okay, there must be a spider bite biting me, you know, in, in bed or it's summer. I don't know. And I remember, you know, not feeling very well. Um, maybe I had flu light symptoms. It's hard to remember. It's been quite a while ago. So fast forward to all the years leading up to that, my definitely my cognitive, uh, functions started going down and I, um, I was just kind of started laughing about it being like, Oh, I probably have Lyme disease. Cause it was, uh, uh, some of my friends were talking about that being like, yeah, there's this thing, you know, that you can get. Um, and so I was kind of aware of it. And I remember when I, when it initially happened, I remember looking it up. If you have a, like, if you have a rash, you know, is it, does it mean Lyme disease? And it, it was all the answers were yes, but I wasn't registering that that was a symptom of Lyme disease. And I was just kind of brushing it off. So I'm definitely partly at fault for that, but the medical system was completely useless in this, in this, uh, catching okay, so in the early stages, you know? So Hillary, let's, let's, let's build this out a little bit. So you're, um, you're in your early twenties, you're beginning to, um, you're beginning to develop as a, as an artist, uh, you're beginning to develop your own style. How are the symptoms that you're developing after this tick bite in your you know, early 20s impacting your, um, your health? Um, what was your energy level like? And how is that impacting your ability to develop your, um, your skills? Um, so I think with this perspective, I have to realize that um, I have a certain type of personality where I'm an extremely hard worker. I'm a workaholic. Um, and I mean, there's good, good and bad sides to that. Um, I'll talk about that later. It eventually led to a burnout. So for me to start feeling tired and, and whatnot, I probably didn't even care or notice because I was out partying and traveling and doing all this stuff and just kind of burning myself out, um, because of, um, what do you call it? it's this it, trauma drive because I've, I've been through some trauma in my childhood and it's this drive to just keep it up. And you have a kind of a very super, supernatural strength kind of coming through you. And you're just kind of like driving yourself. Um, so it's hard for me to ever feel normal with that and being like, Oh, suddenly I'm really tired. I was just kind of pushing it through because my nervous system was so jacked up on like adrenaline um, that it was hard for me to notice. Okay. So let's, 
Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the time between your tick bite when you were 21 and 22 and the time that you ultimately were, were diagnosed with Lyme disease is you were, you were 30 years old. So there's about a nine, nine, eight or nine year window between when you had the tick bite that you believe ultimately triggered the Lyme disease, the chronic Lyme disease and your diagnosis. So mm-hmm. you said that right after the tick bite, you had, you had a classic bullseye rash and you did some research and it kept coming back, or at least it was coming back to you that you possibly had Lyme disease. Talk mm-hmm. to us about, you know, you said it wasn't registering. What does that mean? You, when you were Googling it, the, the, um, the um, Lyme disease just didn't, didn't speak to you, or you just didn't see a connection between the information that you were receiving about the rash and the rashes that you had on your body. Yeah, I just, I, I didn't, I wasn't registering that that was a, a symptom of it. I was kind of like, you know, cause it's, it's, I was like, well, maybe, or like, and also going to see, going to see that doctor that treated me for something completely different. That was kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'll trust him with what he's, what, he, what he's saying, you know? And then over the years, I was kind of like, oh, I kept having these hunches, you know, my intuition was like, oh, maybe I do have Lyme disease, you know? And then it kind of like, kind of sat myself down and I was like, okay, something's up like for real. Cause my, my, um, energy kept going down over the years and especially my, my memory and like word loss and, and word finding. Um, and then I started developing more and more symptoms over the years. I think my case is, is very mild compared to what a lot of people have. So I've been lucky in that sense, but yeah, mostly with the memory thing, I was like that, this is weird. Like. I should be so, getting sharper with age, you know? <laughs> so, so Hillary, when, when you, when you, um, when you had the suspicion at the beginning that you might have Lyme disease, did you discuss Lyme with the doctor who was treating you from the cellulitis? No, I think I'd look that up after. Now, during this nine year window between the tick bite and the diagnosis, did you see any other doctors for the symptoms that were developing? Um, yeah. I, I don't remember how much time I like, like I said, memory's bad. So I don't remember the exact timeline, but a few years ago I had tried to go get a blood test done. And so, so far I've gotten two blood tests done that came back in, um, negative, but they were, we only have like one test in, in Quebec, which is absolutely ridiculous. And like, there's, you know, 50% chance that it's not even accurate. So, so it was kind of like, I kept doubting myself. And then things kept getting worse. And so then I was like, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like, I'm going to go see a naturopath that's specialized in this. Okay. So you, you were acting on the suspicion or this intuition that was coming to you that you had Lyme disease and you were going to doctors and you were asking them to test you specifically for Lyme disease. And when they yeah. did, the test did not come, did not come back positive. Mm-hmm. So the doctors were telling you, you didn't have Lyme disease. Exactly. But despite the doctors telling you you didn't have Lyme disease, your intuition kept speaking to you and you kept exploring whether or not you had Lyme disease. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. When you were doing your research on Lyme disease and you were seeing what the classic symptoms were of Lyme disease, you were seeing in yourself the symptoms, the classic symptoms of Lyme disease, where you were going to your doctors and your doctor saying, well, doesn't matter because your, your, your Lyme disease test came back negative, so you don't have Lyme. Yeah, exactly. And then you start doubting yourself all over again each time. You know, it's like being gaslit by someone, <laughs> you know. So you, you also said that you, 
you were you were on sort of overdrive for this period of your life. You had suffered from trauma, and as a result of the trauma, your way of coping with the trauma was essentially to be in fight or flight full time. You were just always exactly. working, and you're always yeah. running, and you're always uh, working on. Now, what impact do you think that had on your on your immune system? And do you think the lifestyle that you were living as a result of this traumatically induced um, uh, experience that you were having, um, what impact do you think that had on the development of your Lyme disease symptoms? Definitely heightened things and, and threw me into um, three burnouts total. Talk to us about that. What were the three burnouts and how did they present? Um, the first two were kind of mild, but it was very much like, I want to quit. I, you know, just very like emotional. Um, and then the last one, and I'm still recovering from that happened maybe three years ago. Um, but in, in a kind of a progressive manner. Um, and yeah, it's just really made kind of everything just fall apart. You know, and that, that's when I discovered that that's when I went to see a naturopath and got diagnosed. And it's just kind of like everything fell into place where it was like, you know what, this is time to heal from everything, from trauma, from, from overworking yourself, being in that, being in that drive in the fight or flight mode. You know, I'm still recovering from that. I'm still trying to get, you know, regulate my nervous system, um, and rest. There's been a lot of sleeping in the past two years. Um, so it, that's why it's hard for me to, um, explain the way that I was feeling the past 10 years is because I was on that overdrive. So I wasn't listening to my body. I was abusing alcohol. I was abusing drugs. I was, you know, partying and traveling and overworking and tattooing. You know, I wake up, wake up in the morning at 11, draw until your tattoo appointment, then go to bed at two in the morning. You're drawing, you're doing like 16 hour days. And then slowly I was like, Oh, I can't keep up anymore. And it's not sustainable. So instead of working four days a week, I'm down to like, not working anymore, but, you know, progressively getting back to maybe once every two weeks. So you said that you ultimately found a naturopathic doctor. What took you from the allopathic or the traditional medical community and brought you over to seeking um, diagnostic and treatment care from a naturopath? Um, well, researching about Lyme and seeing how, how illiterate our doctors are, especially in, in the province that I live in. Um, they're very invalidating, very uninformed, um, especially GPs, you know, they're, they're, they're not specialists in that. So, and, and we don't really have any specialists yet. Like it's, I think there's like one in Montreal, but the wait list is like two and a half years or three years, you know, and um, I don't have, I don't know. I thought we kind of have to become our own doctors. And I think that's a very, very common thing with people that suffer from uh, chronic Lyme disease. So how did you select the naturopath that you did select? Um, I found her online as a Lyme literate naturopath and she healed herself um, years ago. She's not even a full-time naturopath. She just felt called to help others uh, because of her journey. She healed herself from lupus and Lyme disease. And how was working with the naturopathic doctor different than working with the general practitioners you had been working with in the past? Uh, she was actually hearing me out and, and validating what I was going through and being like, okay, yeah, that's you, you have all the symptomology to, to help us diagnose you. And she, it was very nice to hear that. She was like, 
you had the rash. That's a diagnosis. Like, and nobody else can tell you otherwise, you know, it was very, very validating and, and kind of like, okay, I'm on the right path now. How else was the naturopathic doctor different than your, than your general practitioner, other than just listening to you and validating the information that you were given to her? Uh, well, she, she had a game game plan for me. You know, she was, she was like, Hey, this is what I suggest for you. Um, let's get your DNA tested. You know, she was like, okay, yeah, you can get some blood tests done, but you, we need your DNA tested. You, we need to look further into that. Cause when I get my blood tested, it's like, oh, your thyroid is normal. Well, no, it's not. It's, you know, it's average, but it's not good, you know? So, and they don't want to look further. It's very, you have to fight to get any, any sort of uh, treatment going or any sort of uh, looking, looking into things with uh, a, a, yeah, just looking into things more. Okay. So let's talk about the DNA testing you did. What type of DNA testing did you do? And how did that help you and your doctor to develop your treatment plan to help you overcome from Lyme disease, overcome the challenges with Lyme disease? Uh, well, first off, I don't, um, I don't work with my doctor anymore. Um, she kind of went on leave a bunch of times and um, I gave up on that route uh, for now. We'll see. But um, so, yeah, I got the DNA testing done at uh, 23andMe. Um, and then I showed the results to my naturopath and she was really able to tell me what was going on. Um, we, there's still a lot of, we don't know why certain things are happening, but how you should be careful and, uh, what we can do to improve your health. Okay. Yeah. So did, did the naturopathic doctor do any blood testing with you that was different than the blood testing that was being done by the traditional doctors that were not able to diagnose you with Lyme disease? Yeah, I think I had gone back for uh, a few blood tests that the naturopath had suggested, and I, I don't remember exactly what they were. So Hillary, I'd like to learn more about what you were talking about when you were saying to Rich that you had this lifestyle that was causing you to get sicker, right? That you were stuck in overdrive that you were using things like alcohol and drugs and lifestyle changes to adapt to sort of dull the symptoms you were experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, looking back, did you realize how sick you were or were you masking all of your symptoms with lifestyle changes and just not ignoring it and, and taking, you know, these Band-Aid type solutions to your problems? I'm definitely ignoring it, <laughs> you know, just staying busy. Um, but um, yeah, I was uh, the same year that I got diagnosed with Lyme disease. I got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, um, which is um, kind of like, a, I guess, a, not a precursor, but what, kind of what happens when you have a developmental trauma. Um, and a lot of my symptoms started getting worse. That's something that I could look back on and be like, okay, I think the Lyme might've made this worth worse. You know, the mood swings and the very, the irritability and the very, like, um, you feel like your nerves are exposed all the time. Um, I wasn't like that when I was a teenager, you know, I was up and down kind of like had, um, cyclothymic bi bipolar, uh, symptoms, but I wasn't so much on edge than after I got bitten by tick. Like it was absolute hell. Um, so I, I finally, uh, went in to get a, a diagnosis and got put on medication and it's been definitely life-changing. So I wonder, Hillary, do you think that it took you so long to get a diagnosis because doctors were thinking that 
that it was all psychological or in your head and they just didn't want to hear about your physical problems because you had some personality problems in their mind? No, 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 no. It's, I wasn't taking care of myself. That's so, but I, you know, I, I want to talk more about this because so many people in this community are suffering from whether it's bipolar or borderline personality disorders, emotional misdiagnoses, or, or we'll call them co-diagnoses, and their Lyme gets overlooked because of it. And we've come to learn from interviewing a lot of this, the leading specialists and the scientists and the doctors that these psychological and emotional issues can be amplified by the infection, right? So yeah. I guess what I'm asking you, Hillary, is do you believe that the Lyme disease made these things worse? Do you believe that the Lyme disease made these, th- made these symptoms actually happen? You know, where do you stand with the, your viewpoint on your, your emotional symptoms combined with your physical Lyme disease symptoms? I think I would still have everything, but definitely more heightened because of the Lyme. So now, will you ever put on any medication for the borderline personality disorder? Yes. And just time-wise, was this before or after the diagnosis of Lyme? After. After. Okay. Or, or like in this in the span of like a few months, I like, kind of so- like was like I need to get all this in order because I realized that I was not doing well. Okay. Yeah. And now did, yeah. the, did the medication help you with the symptoms that you were experiencing? Absolutely. Like I said, it was life-changing. I can function. Now, were you treating Lyme at that time as well? So I guess what I'm, where I'm going with this is, do you think it was a combination of the Lyme treatment and then the treatment for the borderline personality disorder? Or do you really think it was just the treatment specifically for the borderline personality disorder was really what you needed to help yourself get reset and get, get kind of to a state of homeostasis? Yeah, definitely. Um, the treatment that I started getting at the beginning of my journey for Lyme was um, not good. It wasn't, it wasn't helpful, not, not good, but it wasn't helpful for me personally. Um, Cause I was, I was doing a lot of natural naturopathy, but I don't, I have malabsorption issues. So it's like, I'm like taking these things that are, you know, basically not being absorbed in my body. So I had to get out of that, but, but definitely going on antidepressants was a very um, helpful way and helping me be just a functional healthy person and taking care of myself and going on that journey of self-care because I was just surviving, you know, every day I was surviving, dealing with this, with this disorder. So what I'm trying to do here is find patterns, right? Because so many of us have different experiences with Lyme, but there are some patterns. And I think what I'm seeing in your case is that you had some issues going on when you were younger, but you were managing them or maybe your whole life, but then you got bit by a tick it amplified that borderline personality disorder and you were so much more susceptible to Lyme disease because of your personality disorder. Do you think that's true? Do you think that you, you were more vulnerable to Lyme because you were in a state of overdrive because you had this personality disorder and because you were in a constant state of fight or flight, not in rest and digest and your nervous system was, was haywire and now you're primed to get really sick from a tick bite. I've never thought about that. So yeah, I don't know. That's an, that's an interesting perspective. I I think there's um, the way that I I see sickness and all the the struggles that we go through, it never happens alone. There's always a symbiotic relationship within, you know, with good things and bad things, positive things and negative things. I feel like it's always kind of like never one size fits all. There's always a a sort of 
yeah, like a relationship between different things that create this personal issue that you have, that each person have has. That's why I think um, Western medicine, sometimes you get things so wrong, you know, because it's so, it, it has to be way more individualized. And we couldn't agree more. I mean, we're interviewing Dr. Kinderler, who's a famous Lyme doctor. And what, one of the things he really wants to focus on is the role of Lyme disease either creating or worsening existing psychological and emotional symptoms that people have. And there's a real connection there. That's why I'm kind of focusing on this issue with you so much, because I really believe that that can make you vulnerable to get really sick with chronic Lyme disease. And I really believe that that can prevent you from getting better, Hillary. And I think I'm just so, I'm so as much as I'm so sorry you had to go through this journey, I'm so happy to hear that you were addressing both Lyme disease and your nervous system and emotional state, because together that's the best way to come at this, right? From a holistic approach. And it takes a lot of us a long time to get there. I mean, it's taken me many years to come to the place Mm -hmm. you were at shortly after your diagnosis, right? So we couldn't agree more about that statement, but let's talk more about your, your your malabsorption issues, right? And I guess before we go there, you get diagnosed, you talk to Rich about the DNA test and you talk to Rich about the 23andMe being superior to just standard blood tests because you get a better picture of what's going on in your body. But Give us an idea of what you found from that 23andMe DNA testing. We heard about, I have detox issues. I have the MTHFR gene. I have this mold gene. I have all these things going on. Mm-hmm. I can't, pro, uh, you know, I, I have an overabsorption of iron because of, you know, because of a genetic deficiency. What were your results and what was your personalized outcome from this genetic testing? Uh, well, first off, um, my naturopath really wanted to see if I had the M- MTHFR gene, which I don't. But I did, we did come out with a lot of um, concerning um, DNA mutations, which I still haven't looked into because right now I don't have a doctor. Um, and we saw that I had uh, methylation issues and that I had a very high rate of malabsorption issues and methylation. So basically I can't absorb 50% of what I eat and I can't detox 50% of what I eat and drink. Um, so I had, I have a very high rate of copper, uh, mercury and toxic, you know, chemicals and metals, um, in my body. So I can't drink tap water anymore. (laughs) So here we're building this picture, Hillary, right? So Uh, as you said, we're building this picture. It's never just Lyme disease, right? Everything coexists together, whether it's for good or bad. That's what you said to us earlier. So you had these emotional issues that were made worsened by Lyme disease. You were more susceptible because of them. Now you have these genetic things that you were born with that you didn't even know about until you got sick. You can't detox. You're flooded with heavy metals. You can't absorb nutrients. And if you don't have these nutrients, what happens? Your, your body isn't as strong as it can be. You become compromised. Your cells aren't as strong. Your organs aren't functioning as well. And all of these things together make you more susceptible to chronic Lyme. And then once you get chronic Lyme, it makes it harder for you to recover from chronic Lyme. So mm-hmm. you're piecing all these things together, right? So what we're doing here is you're playing detective, Hillary, and you're getting all of this information about you. And the more information that you have, the more informed decisions you can make on your healing journey. So I'm probably getting a little too excited about this. And I'm sorry, but I just, it's pretty interesting to hear how you, you, you did this so early. And again, for me, it took so many years and for so many of us listening, it's taken us so long to get to where you were shortly after your diagnosis. So I do want to focus on what were you using with your naturopath? Because you mentioned it wasn't a successful Lyme protocol, probably because you weren't absorbing a lot of the stuff you were taking, as you noted. But what were you taking with your naturopath before you decided to make a change? Um, some tree seed tinctures. Um, I forget what they're called. But basically it's, it, it's like super good for you because it's like when the, the, the seed starts to 
turn into a tree, like they extract all those good, those minerals in there. And then they create a tincture with it. And I was on that and I was on, you know, all the vitamins imaginable, um, mineral drinks. Um, I'd have to go get my basket in my, <laughs> in my kitchen. And there's like a grand worth of, of supplements and, and, um, yeah, there's, if I were to follow the protocol that she put me on, it was about 35 pills a day and tinctures, but I have trouble feeding myself. So I, that was hard to keep up. And she, you know, she was told me, telling me that I have to stop eating sugar, stop eating gluten. Um, and on top of all of that, take all of the, this medication. It was, it was hard to manage for sure. So it was kind of up and down. You know, we've had a similar discussion with Liza Bless, who is a, another Lyme advocate. She's another fellow podcaster and she has children with Lyme. So she was telling us that sometimes the expectations put on us are too unrealistic or unpractical. She did this. She spent a period of her, of her life where she did everything they told her to do. She, mm-hmm. and, and the breaking point for her was when she got this, I think it was charcoal based toothpaste. And she was doing all this stuff, spending a ton of money and energy stress out of her mind, probably making her nervous system go haywire. And she opened up the toothpaste and maggots came out of it. And that was when Hillary, she knew, all right, this is just too much. I need to find that balance of helping my family, living a healthy lifestyle, but not doing something that's impractical for my family. So it sounds like you were at that point where it wasn't practical for you to do what was being recommended. And you knew that you were, it wasn't, it wasn't feasible. Right. So is that, is that kind of where you were at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, just, it's, you can't, it's impossible in life to balance everything perfectly. We always have up, ups and downs of a little bit more balance, a little less balance. You can't have that perfect streamlined, you know. But it sounds like you were, <laughs> but Hillary, it sounds like you tried this for a little bit. So were you doing these tinctures and just not being able to do the full protocol with the naturopath or were you just, were you putting it off? You know, where were you at and how long were you, you kind of on this back and forth with the naturopath? Yeah, I did that for maybe a year. Um, and I, I still have the stuff. I mean, I, I could get back on at least, at least doing a few supplements a day. Like that's, you know, and I, and I had talked to her about it and she's like, yeah, I know it's very overwhelming. And like, I completely understand if you're unable to keep up with it, like she knows. So at least she was understanding with that, but also like, um, finding ways to regulate my nervous system so that I wouldn't, like you said earlier, be susceptible to being more fatigued and, and having more issues come up. So, uh, working less. And I have this infrared sauna and taking Epsom salt baths and dry brushing. So it's kind of like this, I'm trying to like balance out all these, all these things that make me feel good versus waking up in the morning and taking those 35 pills a day when I'm, I'm hardly eating because I have malabsorption issues and I don't feel like eating. And like that, that can't be good for my stomach either. Well, I'm more concerned, Hillary, that if you have all these malabsorption issues, that if you're taking these herbs and tinctures, that they're not going to be as effective because you're only absorbing 50% of what you're taking. Right. So yeah. to me that that's a, that's a, that's a red flag and I'm not an herbalist. Right. But I mean, I feel like that your naturopath probably is like, well, all of this stuff is really hard. She has to manage your diet and she has to you know eat with food and, and, and balance all this out with her life. But are you really getting the optimal benefit from it? If you yeah. can't even absorb these things. Right. Yeah. And because of the, the, um, being in fight or flight, uh, and running on adrenaline, um, it's hard for me to have an appetite sometimes. Like I can go a full day without eating. So why, like, I need to get that in order first. 
For sure. And, and that's very common in the Lyme community where people it's, they, you know, not that they forget to eat, but they're, they don't eat as much. Right. And they have a hard mm-hmm. time eating and taking their supplements. And it's something that you have to balance. I mean, what was your naturopath's response to the genetic testing though? It sounds like she persisted and said, I want you on these tinctures. Was it a higher dosing of the tinctures than we'll call a quote unquote regular person without these genetic deficiencies because you had Very, an absorption? Yeah. Yeah. A lot higher. Like, I think it, I was like, you know, 75 drops to one or something like, like it was very high and it, it, it tastes awful. And it's just, ugh. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> on not, top not to, of it, <laughs> not to hone down on this too much, but you're taking a much larger dosing of this protocol from your naturopath because you have these malabsorption problems, but it's still hitting your gut. So how are you feeling when you were trying to take these tinctures? I mean, you're not eating, so you don't have anything in your stomach to really kind of balance it out. You're taking a much higher dosage than usual because of your malabsorption issues. Were you getting sick? Were you getting nauseous? Were you getting stomach pain? Were you getting bloated? You know, how is your body responding to all of this stuff when you were trying to take these tinctures? Um, I didn't feel like there was that first, first off, there was no, no visible results. Um, and I've been dealing with the chronic nausea for quite some time. And I think probably that heightened it. Well, was the nausea from prior to taking the tinctures? That's something a symptom you had before, or was that a result of taking the, the medication? Mm, that's a good question. I don't remember having that much nausea before. I mean, I, I have hypoglycemia, uh, you know, not su- super severe. So I do get nauseous if I am, I get hungry. It's kind of like, I'm not hungry. Then it's like, I absolutely have to fucking eat like now or else I'm going to fall. Um, but yeah, I, I could feel the last couple of years I've had a, a, quite a bit of nausea. Have you found anything that has helped with the nausea? Cause that's really common with, with Lyme disease in general, but also treating Lyme that you get nauseous and a lot of medication makes you nauseous as well. Mm-hmm. So is there any tools, tricks, advice, guidance you can give our listeners that have helped you with your nausea? Um, I think the best thing would be ginger straight up chew on ginger or, um, like hardcore chewing ginger. ginger. Yeah. Hardcore chewing ginger. I, <laughs> I would, yeah, I would right. do that. I, I would do like that if so I got in. home, got home late very, and, you know, this, the room is spinning. I've done that before with one foot on the ground, just chewing ginger, you know, just did it help out of my mind being like, please God help me. Did it help <laughs> yeah, ginger and, and, and peppermint tea. But when you came home and the room was spinning and you were chewing on ginger, did it, did it help alleviate your symptoms? It helps a little bit, but I I have a better trick. Now you just, uh, um, grab some of that activated charcoal and then you'll wake up. You'll, it'll de-drunk you, de-drunkify you during the night and you'll wake up with no hangover. So wait, were you, were you, were you you nauseous because you were drinking too much or were you nauseous because you were, because you were treating Lyme disease at this time? I just wanted to get perspective for that that moment. It, okay. It's just, I know it's a good trick. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, but in general, chewing on raw ginger can help with nausea. Mm-hmm. And now then you're, you're here. So now the, the, the activated charcoal, that's more for drinking alcohol, not necessarily dealing with any kind of symptoms from, or side effects from Lyme treatment, right? No. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, have you tried activated charcoal as a binder with Lyme disease to bind out toxins? Because you mentioned that you you obviously can't detox and we're all exposed to toxins every single day. And your body's not, mm-hmm. your body's not removing toxins like it was designed to do. So yeah, if you have this 50% toxin retention because of that genetic deficiency. So are you doing binders? What are you doing to address the heavy metals? 
No, I'm not doing binders. I I haven't gone down that route yet. Um, so no, I, I wasn't doing the activated charcoal thing. Okay. But I am drinking. I drink um, distilled water. Um, and then I had, I also had that that mineral thing that I, that tastes like um, fake orange flavor. It's it's hard to drink. So what is that with the or- fake orange flavor? Gross. I've never heard of that before. What is that? <laughs> Like I'm, I will it, it try something like, gross um, if it's good. If it, if it helps me, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with the grossness. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, um, F no, it's a vitamin C like mineral, uh, juice thing, but it tastes like, it tastes like, um, unnatural orange flavor. Oh, like fake orange. Like they really, I know what you mean. Yeah. Fake yeah. Orange yeah. Taste, like, not like uh, real. Yeah. Do you, do you recall it as, does it help or it didn't even help? It's not worth even asking you the name of it. No, not so much. I, I can tell I by your face. Like anything, any of that helps. Our listeners can't see your face. But when I asked you that question, your, your face told me no right away, Hillary. So oh, gosh. <laughs> well, it's like, it's yeah. It's like when you, you have medication for so long and it's just like you, you overuse it. And then you're like, you cannot have that taste ever again. I can relate. I mean, I was just sick and I think it was either COVID or the flu. I'm not really sure what it was, but I had an English muffin that day and I have not been able to think about or eat an English muffin ever since that day. It makes me sick to think about it. So I I can relate. You traumatize yourself. (laughs) Yes. All right. So a couple of things I want to, I want to dive back into. So you talked about the, we said the orange flavor didn't help. We're not going to go there. Distilled water, right? Why does that matter? We've heard about distilled water being important because it helps people kill parasites. Parasites do not like distilled water. And that's a big thing with parasite cleansing. But for you, you said distilled water was you're doing. Why, why are you drinking distilled water and how is it helping you? So that I'm not uh, absorbing any more metals because, and, and also fluoride, which is a chemical, um, which is found in tap water. Even if you filter it out, distilled water is the only way to, to completely get rid of fluoride. Also, when you drink tap water, you're getting fluoride and you're getting chemicals that normal, normally and it would just be filtered out by your body, but because you can't detox those, the fluoride, the heavy metals, et cetera, you need to drink distilled water to reduce your, your exactly. toxic, your and toxic Montreal, load. So your body is going to, is going to be healthier essentially. Yeah. And in Montreal, it's like the, the pipes are very old, like the plumbing. Um, so there's definitely lead in the water. Wow. So that's really interesting. So if people listening have the, any kind of methylation issues or detoxing issues, which probably a lot of us have, frankly, in the chronic Lyme community, distilled water, not only is going to be helpful in removing parasites, which are known to be sort of a common additional problem with Lyme disease, but also helping reduce the, the amount of toxins you're taking in your body. And the less toxins you take in, the, the stronger your immune system can be to focus on the things that are making you sick. Right. So that's a really interesting, uh, Rich, I know this is, I never asked you a question, Rich, but Rich, have we heard of, of distilled water being used that way before in this podcast? I don't think we have. I don't believe we have, Matt. I, I think this is, this is a first. So thank you, Hillary. Yeah. And, and just, just one thing to note, um, I think it's important to, to add, to mineralize it also. What does that mean? Miner- mineralize it. Can you explain well, just that to make sure that you, you have your, your absorbing extra minerals because it distilled water does not contain any minerals at all. So what are, Found what are- natural spring water? You have like all those good minerals for you. Um, so it's important to either to add some or, you know, cause my, my main, my main focus was getting rid of the fluoride. So I just want to understand this better. So if I'm drinking tap water, which people are going to get really mad, but I'm going to admit on this podcast, I drink tap water. So not all the time. Sometimes 
I'm getting good minerals out of tap water, but I'm also getting a ton of bad stuff, right? From the pipes, to heavy metals, to fluoride, et cetera. So when you're drinking distilled water, you're getting rid of all the bad stuff, but you're also getting, you're also getting rid of the good stuff, which are the minerals yeah. that are in tap water for me, right? Exactly. So you have to, you have to now adjust for that by mineralizing your water. So what does that mean? Is that like something you put into your water or is that, like how, what's the process to do that? And I, I know it's probably such a simple question, but I don't know how that works. Yeah. Well, I don't do it because I'm, I have a lot on my plate. <laughs> I think I'm already feeling a lot better just drinking distilled water. Like tap water actually will make me nauseous. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think you can, you can just add it with like, you can get pouches, you know, some like, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but. So I've seen people remineral, on social media. Mineralize it and you yeah, can, but- or you can have that extra, like a mineral me- medicine, you know, that you drink or you, you put in your water. Right. So, so I, I've seen both on social media where people are drinking this sort of, I'll call it mineral supplement, where it's like a little squeezy thing that they can, they can drink or they put it into their water and, and drink that. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. guess the question I have, Hillary, what is the value or benefit of these minerals? Right. Because, you know, I think maybe we'll take that for granted. And I, honestly, I'm not, sh- I don't fully understand what value these minerals bring to our health and how they help us in a Lyme recovery journey. Well, just our, our body needs, I think it's, um, there's like 102 essential minerals that we need in our body. Um, and I recently read that you can get all like 97 of those minerals through, um, sea, uh, seaweed moss, sea moss that I've, I'd love to try that for sure. When so, you say seaweed moss, do you mean actual like moss from like the ocean? Like that's what I'm thinking of. Like, yeah, moss, it's like harvested like- moss and they turn it into like a, you can turn it into a gel and you drink that and it really gives you all the minerals that your body needs to function optimally. My goodness. Talk about being nauseous. Just thinking about, just thinking about being in the beach or at a, at a dock and seeing, you know, uh, I guess, you know, I guess you'll, you'll try anything to feel better, but I mean, have you never tried it? You said, I'm curious. No, I haven't tried it. I just, I just, um, saw that recently the, the past couple of months and I've been interested in trying well, you definitely guys to let us know if you do. We'll have to post an update to the show notes on this podcast yeah. if you do, because I, I certainly will not probably try that because just it's mentally not something that I think I'm I'm ready to do. Rich, Rich is sitting there for those. That, again, I the, one of the, the drawbacks of this being of audio only podcast is Rich is making all kinds of faces. I think Rich is going to try it, so we're going to volunteer Rich to try this, and we'll update the show notes and let you know how Rich responds to this because yeah. I'm certainly not doing it. And, and Hillary will let Rich be our guinea pig. He's always my yeah. guinea pig with everything we do, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll take that approach. So. All right. So now we have, we're getting this much bigger picture. You're diagnosed, you work with a naturopath for a year on and off. You're treating with, with various tinctures because you, you really can't handle it. You're having a better picture of what's going on. And then you stop treating with a naturopath. And this is again, only about two years ago, you diagnosed. So a year ago, you stopped, you stopped seeing your naturopath and you're kind of independently doing a ton of research, a ton of reading and learning and enacting things on your own to feel better. And you noted earlier that you're feeling a lot better today. So what else are you doing to get to the level of health you're at today. I know you're not, you know, in remission. I know you're not symptom free, but you have made, you have made gains, right? So what do you, what are some of the things you've done to get yourself where you are today? Um, so after doing the naturopath protocol and kind of giving up, I took some time off and really just kept focusing on the, you know, on the fact that I was still burnt out and that I need to focus on, getting my emotional state in order and, you know, going to therapy and just taking care of myself, taking care of my body and resting. Um, and then I fell on a comment on Instagram, uh, a couple comments actually on a page that I follow, um, regarding how 
um, pressurized oxygen chamber therapy has helped. Is this, quite is, a few this, is this HBOT, the hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Is hyperbaric that what you're talking about? oxygen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been on that. I, I tried that. If, um, I started back in November and it's required for me to do 30 treatments. Um, but as I'm partially out of work, I can't afford it. Um, and you know, it's like $260 per treatment and there's, you need 30. So I'm at, I think I'm at 10 or 11 or 12, but I stopped because I gave myself a medical leave. So that's, what's fun about being self-employed. I can give myself medical leave because I was just really could not work, um, sleeping hours and hours at a time. So I'm, I haven't finished that protocol yet, but the one thing that has helped is completely ridiculous. And it's like, you were saying, uh, like for a lot of people, it's like that this one thing just helps. And it's like, where does that come from? You know? And it's, um, they're called, um, Pharaoh healing rods. I've never called like, they're like ancient Egyptian healing rods. And basically there's one zinc cylinder that you hold in your left hand. Another cylinder is made of copper and they're filled with quartz crystals. And you hold one in your left hand, one in your right hand, and it creates an electrical current through your body. And it, it completely like opens up the flow of the chi energy. So it uh, works the same way that acupuncture would without the kind of invasion. So you hold these, you know, a few times a day and you can meditate with them. And I use them for, you know, my, my Reiki clients. Honestly, it's the, the only thing that I've seen progress on. That's fascinating. So walk us through a little bit. I know this is, this is hard to do, but so what, how does that actually, what did that do to your body? You know, I, I know, I know energy healing is, is really powerful and I understand that, but when you're holding these rods and it's circulating, you know, this, this, this through your body, is that, what is it doing? Is it strengthening your immune system? Is it allowing your blood to flow better? Is it, you know, what is it actually doing to your body? to help your body heal. You know, that's the real question I have about this type of stuff because there's so many great alternative healing modalities out there. But to be really blunt about this, Hillary, before I got sick, if you told me that, I'd be like, oh my goodness, that sounds crazy. And now I'm like, tell me more. I want to learn about this, right? Like I want to, I want to learn how this mm-hmm. works. So give us a little more detail about what that's doing to the body to help it heal. Yeah. Um, so I actually have a little um, uh, window set up here that I, I found some information. So I'm just going to read. Sure. Um, so Egyptian healing rods used by pharaohs of ancient Egypt, scientific evidence from energy medicine leader. Um, well, that phrase does not make any sense. What? <laughs> Gotta love the <laughs> internet, an right? Ancient Egyptian healing tool that Russian scientific research suggests will help individuals or clients to boost their life force energy, moving more quickly towards wellness. They were used by the pharaohs of ancient Egypt and recreated by Russian scientists. So this is backed by science. You can actually measure the amount of electricity that you're producing while holding these. So it's very much like, uh, you know, Chinese medicine with the, with the life force energy and our bodies are kind of like electrically wired with our, our meridians. And, you know, when you're using acupuncture, you can, you can unblock certain areas and, and have that life force energy flow through you. And when you have a strong life force energy, that the healthier you are. And I find it fascinating that you can actually measure this because it's quantifiable oh, yeah. at that point, right? Yeah, so you, there's, science, there's science backing it. It's quantifiable. So for, for the doubters that are listening or the doubters that are out there thinking, what? You can actually, there's 
science to back this and you can actually measure how this is working, right? And, and again, I think it's cool because Rich and I both have benefited greatly from, from ancient Chinese medicine through using herbal protocols and you're benefiting from ancient Egyptian medicine. So it's just really neat to see how a lot of us in the chronic illness community are using medical modalities that were around, you know, forever ago to now heal in my in modern days right so i think it's really cool that you found how do you find it you said t- tell us again how you found this because i've never we've never heard of this on the people podcast. i i uh i'm on like the the spiritual spiritual talk as they call it like the spiritual tiktok so you're on that you're on that side of tiktok okay yeah i'm gotcha. on that side of tiktok i'm a very spiritual person um and i'm into like alternative medicine and stuff i i i definitely trust that more sometimes than the than western medicine um, but yeah, I found, uh, just some person promoting that on TikTok, and I was like, ancient Egyptians, aliens, I need to try this. <laughs> like, I mean, but the proofs in you the know, pudding, like, that's it's how working. my brain works. I'm like, okay, this is like really cool. <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> but I love that it's working. And that's why I'm geeking out so much with you about this, because it's just so cool that yeah. this is working for you and you're having progress. And it's another option that our listeners can have to try for themselves. And we always we always look at things here at Dick Camp. What is the cost and what is the risk? And it seems like the cost is extremely minimal and the risk yeah. is virtually zero, right? Yeah. So when we're thinking, should I try this? Why not, right? I mean, again, it's science-based, yeah. you can measure it and it's low cost, zero risk, non-invasive. So you just gave yeah. us one more thing we can add to our ever-growing list of things to try to help you in your Lyme recovery journey. So yeah. you've, given us, you've given us a lot of firsts today, Hillary, and I'm really excited about that because you are our, oh my goodness, we've had many, many people in this podcast. You are our 272nd podcast guest, and I've personally learned so much from you already. So I mean, with all of this stuff, I have to ask like, your family, everybody in your life, some of this stuff, again, I mentioned I would be like, that's nuts before I got sick. What does your family think about now these new modalities you're using to heal? Are they questioning it? Do they give you grief for it? Or are they really open and accepting of, of where you are and what you're doing to heal? Um, my mom's very much like whatever works. Um, we're kind of more connected on that alternative method I guess my dad's very very practical and very like science driven so he's like oh natural path like don't waste your time with that she's not even a real doctor um so he tried to suggest going to see a infectiologist um an infectious disease expert and that was just such a disaster um it was like the worst appointment in my life. It, it lasted five minutes. I came out of there. I was almost crying. Uh, the man was just so mean and not listening to what I was saying and being, you know, being like, Oh, you can't, if your blood tests are negative, you don't have it. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> like, you know, what, what do you know about this? Are you like a specialist and you know, are you Lyme literate? And he was just not answering and not listening to me. And I was like, okay, well, you're absolutely useless. Um, so yeah, I just, I kind of, I, I don't share more of that. But I think it's great that with you my, didn't, with my parent. <laughs> but I think it's great that you didn't listen to that infectious disease doctor, right? Because so many of us get these, these doctors and then we stick with them or try to make it work or we start to believe them, but you're just like, nope, you're not Lyme literate. You're not working with me. Peace out. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're like, that's yeah. pretty much how you responded to it. So yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I stood up and I was like, well, I'm going to stop wasting your time and then left. And he was and like, I- too stunned to speak. <laughs> <laughs> 
I applaud you for that because I, I certainly wouldn't have done that. I would have, I, I would have sat there, been frustrated and left. So I think that's an, another important part of what you've learned is how to work with various doctors. No one a doctor's working for you and no one a doctor's not working for you. And really it sounds like you've had the most success in your healing journey by learning from researching, going on the internet, reading various, you know, science backed articles and hearing from people in the community. I mean, that's what you've done with the distilled water, you know, all these things, right? I mean, the, the, are they, what are they, are they called healing rods? I just want to make sure I have that correct. What are those yeah, called? They're he- healing rods or healing cylinders. Healing and they like ba- balance out the energy, balances out the energy in your body. So it's good for, it's good for um, emotions and mental illness too. And it's also, you have, you have to research it. It's really, really interesting. But it's all connected, I think, Hillary. And I'm yeah. curious where you. Oh yeah, that's because... what I was saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, so, yeah, but you you believe that because we we interviewed um, Dr. Dr. Leo Shea, who's a, the leading Lyme and tick-borne disease neuropsychologist, and he believes that every single psychological condition has a physiological root cause. Meaning, if you have this personality disorder, there's some imbalance in your body causing that to present, and there's a way to help address that, right? So. Do you believe that it's all connected? I mean, do you think that there's like this, this, this domino effect in the human body that sometimes we just don't fully understand yet in, in modern world? I think it's the opposite. I think it's emotional um, blockages and trauma that causes physiological issues. Ooh. Well, I like that. So you think that, yeah, I guess in, in your case, right, you had some emotional blockages, which made you susceptible to Lyme. And as you started to heal the emotional blockages and the Lyme, that's where you're you're getting yourself to where you are today and, and probably the healthiest you've been since being sick, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of all goes together. I think it's it's super important to see um, your healing journey as a, a with a holistic point of view. And that's the thing I really don't like about Western medicine. There's no there's no holistic point of view. It's it's like in Chinese medicine, we don't just heal the communication between the problem and the solution. There's the problem, this the the communication that causes the pain the symptom and they heal all of that together and not just the, the, the issue, which is the pain. So talk to us about, I have to ask because Dr. Horowitz and I, I did not know any of this. And apparently this is a whole community or a subset of the community in the Lyme community and also outside of the Lyme community where with aliens, I believe they're enriching those because he read Dr. Horowitz's latest book with star seeds and things like that. So give us a little background on what you meant by aliens in regards to this ancient Egyptian healing using healing rods and cylinders and what role aliens played? Cause you did say the word aliens. And of course you knew we have to ask about, about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm really into the, the alien con- theories and conspiracies. Um, just cause I I'm, I'm somebody that likes to keep an open mind and I'm also open to having a perspective of, on things that works for me personally and kind of creating my own, my own thing with that. We all have that, that right to do that. So um, I think the, the, the aliens are very much connected with ancient Egypt. There's a lot of things that are unexplained. And even some like expert anthropologists can tell you that there are a lot of things that are unexplained and that there's likely a connection there, especially with the electricity and, and, and um, how electricity moves through the body. Like you see the, the way they they um, discovered the healing rods is that in the in the hieroglyphs and in the the murals and stuff, you can see the Egyptians holding them, and you can look at all the images, and a lot of the times they're holding those. So researchers went went to that, um, tried to look that up, and and you know found more information about that, and tried to recreate them, and it was like, okay, now this is actually measurable 
you know, there's a measurable, quantifiable amount of electricity moving through your body when you hold these. Yeah, I mean, we're learning more and more every day. I mean, it's 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 so interesting to think about about some of the things that were valuable and helpful back in ancient Egypt that we're using today. And it makes you wonder, right, how how they learn those things and and why we're not considering using some of those things today, right? So it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting thing to think about. So I have to ask, you know, give us an example, Hillary, right? I know you're you're really focusing on your health and sleeping and, and keeping yourself calm and, and focusing on your nervous system and trying to do everything right. What do you well, I guess the first question I have for you is where give us an idea of where you're at today. What are you doing today that you couldn't do when you're at your worst? And what are your plans for the future now to continue on in your healing journey? Um, I don't need to take naps every day, which is good. Um, I can run multiple errands in a row. I can take my shower. <laughs> um, I'm not sleeping better. That's, that's a, another thing. A lot of always had issues with that, but I have so much more energy and I am functional and it's completely, it completely boggles my mind. I'm at this point when two months ago, I was like, just couldn't do anything. Like, uh, like I had the full, the spoony theory for everyone, you know, like always had to calculate my socials, always had to calculate every single um, thing in advance. And I still do that because I need to be weary of, of, you know, I still have bad days and I need to be smart about it because I am recovering from a burnout. So I don't want to get back into it, but I'm, I'm more creative now and I'm able to you know, draw all day and just be more normal than I, I, than I have been in years. And I've been using those rods for like three weeks now. So you've only been using the rods for three weeks, but yet you started to make improvement even before right away. Right away. So, but you, but you had progress before the three weeks. So what else were you doing? Do you think, what else do you attribute to your improvement? Obviously the, the healing rods were a big part of it, but what else have you been doing that you think is allowed you to make the progress you've made besides the healing rods? Um, the only physical improvement that I found was only and solely because of the healing rods. Wow. The emotional and, you know, the, um, just being on my healing journey of, of being more compassionate towards myself and understanding my boundaries and respecting them that's been going on for a couple of years. Cause this is such a like huge teacher moment for me being in this situation. And we can talk more about that, but that's definitely has to do with my purpose in life. Um, but yeah, healing rods, like all the way, it's like the most, it's the weirdest thing. Like my, my chi was blocked, <laughs> you know? So Rich is going to talk to you about your purpose and your transfer and, and, and all the cool things you're doing now and, and what you're being called to do moving forward. But I want to ask you solely re- Solely related to your physical health, what are your plans for the future? Are there do you plan on doing anything else besides continuing to use these healing rods? Are you are you looking to see another Lyme leader doctor? Are you looking to add in some other modalities, or are you really not sure at this point that you know what what your your plans are regarding your physical health, if any, moving forward? Yeah, I'm not sure right now because I definitely want to. I, I need to consider finishing the, the hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment because I've put in so much already and I need to get to that 30, 30 sessions for it to be complete. But right now it's, I just need a break. Cause it, it's just, I can't afford it. So, so, 
let's let's talk about the beauty of Lyme and and sort of build on what you were just talking with Matt about about how you discovered your your gifts and your purpose through this journey. Um, well, I'm really grateful that I am able to go through these lessons because this is exactly what I needed to heal from everything at the same time. It's like, um, it's part of my purpose in the sense that like, it was the only way for me to get out of that trauma drive. I was forced to sit down and I was forced to take care of myself because I was, I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Um, and all of that kind of goes together in, in a spiritual, in a spiritual way, in an emotional way, in a mental way, in a physical way. Um, this collaboration of and sitting down and resting and healing, it kind of all came together and it's part of me becoming a healer for other people in whatever way that may present, you know, I started taking up, um, I do, I'm an energy practitioner. I do Reiki. Um, and I, you know, I have other gifts and abilities that I want to use, but I need to go through hell to help people get through theirs, you know, go through the, the, the trauma, go through the physical illness, go through the chronic illness, go through the mental, like I've had a lot of crazy shit happen to me. Like, you know, having BPD is, is considered to be the most painful mental disorder to have emotionally painful speaking, emotionally painfully speaking. So I'm grateful that I, I get to experience that because I want to help other people. So it almost sounds to me like you were trying to outrun mine. Uh, you were just, just trying to work as hard as you could and run as hard as you could and, and fight as hard as you could because you were trying to stay ahead of it. And it wasn't actually until you decided to stop running that you began to heal. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I didn't know I had it, but I've always needed to make it in life. You know, that was my main motivation. <laughs> so now let me ask you the final question. We ask all of our guests on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Um, if God forbid you went back to um, one of the rural cottages that your parents own uh, after this podcast, and um, after taking a walk in the woods, you uh, came back and you found a tick biting you. What would you do so that you can prevent yourself from having a Lyme disease relapse? I would go back on Google and, and see how you properly remove it because I still don't know how. <laughs> and then I would do that and then go to a Lyme literate doctor, probably in the United States because the medical system here is completely useless. <laughs> so Hillary Jane, we can't thank you enough for taking time to share your beautiful story with the folks uh, who follow us on Tick Bootcamp. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Hillary Jane. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Hillary, please visit her on Instagram at Hillary Jane Artist. Again, that's at Hillary Jane Artist. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of our Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com bite to view our blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 250 episodes for specific keywords, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback with us, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.